0: Hello and welcome to How to Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Camilla, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today.
1: Thanks, Kate. It was really a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, you're doing some really exciting stuff in the financial services industry, from running a company to actually encouraging more females to get involved with investing. So I thought we'd start with... Maybe you're just giving us a brief rundown on what einvest does because I think a lot of my listeners probably haven't heard of this company before, and maybe what led led you to starting the business a few years ago now?
1: Sure, Kate, that's a great question. And einvest is an actively managed ETF provider um, to investors out there. So, um, what does actively managed mean and what are ETFs? Um, let's delve into those a little bit. So maybe a lot of your listeners already know what ETFs are. So they're exchange traded funds and they're essentially managed funds that you find on the exchange that you can trade just like a share. So there are lots out there and the majority of them are passively managed, means that they are following an index or a built index really. What e-invest does that's different is we a partner with investment professionals and teams of them who specialize in certain areas and their goal is to outperform the index or, or or achieve an outcome. So actively managed means that we are tapping into the investment intellect of you know teams of professionals and bring their skills to market. So our view out there is that investors should have passively managed funds with actively managed funds to grow their grow their business, grow their um, assets. And there are asset classes out there where actively managed you know investment intellect is really really useful. For example, um, small caps or fixed income or income generation in Aussie equities. They're all things that we believe that we can outperform um, the market. And so therefore, they're the type of qualities of investment that we will bring out as an ETF. So e been has been around since 2018, we started our first um, ETF, which is IGA, trading on the ASX. Now we've got five ETFs out there, both on chiX and on the ASX, and you know we're just under hundred million dollars in assets across those those businesses uh, or those um, funds. So. You know, I lead a team of great people who are really passionate about investing. And, you know, our view is that we would love to have Australians to be better invested over time and to have access to really high quality investment intellect to help their
0: wealth grow. And I think that's a great one to open up the conversation on because I think a lot of listeners wouldn't have heard of active ETFs before, because there is a lot of information out there and we've talked about it on the podcast before about the more passive ETFs, but active ETFs are a whole nother area and one that definitely looks like it's growing certainly over the next few years. Indeed. And so it first
1: started with Magellan bringing out their actively, well, the first actively managed ETF, um, I think in 2015. So we weren't too far after that, but I guarantee you by, you know, the next five years, there will be a myriad of choice out there in the actively managed space. So I, you know, employ employ your listeners to actually go and have a bit of a look-see about what asset classes are, you know, you know, are better um, inclined towards active management and which ones may not be, and to actually think about their putting their portfolio together with both actively managed and passively managed alternatives. So, Kate, I started eInvest because you know, I think the ETF market is a great way to democratize investing for everyday Australians. It is a simple, easy way to gain access to really high quality investment professionals in areas where investors might not necessarily have access to usually. So that's the reason why I started eInvest. invest I, you know, my view is that Australians should become better investors Um, and they should have the control that they desire out of their investing and ETFs is a great way to start. And so that's where eInvest
0: came from. Absolutely. And today's conversation, I wanted to focus a bit more on careers in the financial services industry because there are just so many roles involved from everything from what you would see as the portfolio manager to the people behind the scenes running the show, operations, HR. And most people only see um, the pictures they see in the media of people running around in the white jackets, and that's really not that's, the case anywhere anymore. That was back in the 80s. <laughs> it's quite interesting because we don't really know what the industry looks like behind the scenes, and I think that can kind of cut off some potential career paths for people. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of rundown on like the really wide variety of roles available for people in the financial services industry that listeners might um, not have heard about before.
1: Look, there are so many roles out there and when I talk to people who, you know, approach me about careers in finance, my view is give everything a try, particularly when you're at uni because, you know, there's different cultures out there, there are different roles out there, there are different bosses out there and you really need to work out what fits for you and finance is a broad church so it has the likes of everyone in it from lawyers and you know geologists and environmentalists and journalists and you know there are so many you know I um on my podcast shares not shoes I actually interviewed um, a friend of mine Jess and she trained as an optometrist and she is in finance right So you need to think about it is really a broad church with a lot of different skills and it's not the view of, oh, you're the, you know, like you said, the white lab coat with, you know, or behind Excel just sitting there plugging through the things. It really isn't like that. It's a really people-focused industry and it takes all types. So the creative types are are definitely welcome in it. So as for jobs, there, you know, we can talk about being an investment analyst and a portfolio manager, and they're the ones that people, you know, really think about when they think about finance and they're great roles to have. You know, you get to interview companies, you get to put portfolios together, you get to sit down and analyze what the growth prospects are, what the downside prospects are, all this, you know, scenario analysis and all that sort of stuff. But there, you know, I am I run a business now, but my background is in sales and marketing and you know, there are lots of opportunities for sales and marketing professionals to be in finance. Operations is a huge place. So, you know, if you don't think that you are necessarily, you know, the biggest extrovert, maybe like me, you know, there's some great spots, particularly in operations where we can talk about, you know, there's reconciliations and, you know, all the grunt work that actually makes finance go is essentially in operations. And I think they're really great things that we, everyone should look at. And then there's legal compliance and risk. And their areas, particularly right at the moment after the Royal Commission, there's such demand in legal and compliance and risk because everyone's getting sucked up um, in that space. And I find, and, and Australia is a real leader in risk, particularly. I know, for example, UNSW has a really good risk program. You know, think about areas like that because they're not necessarily top of mind when people think about finance, but managing risk and managing risk in the business and understanding where, you know, things can go wrong and what are the mitigants that's really, really critical. And, you know, there's lots and lots of demand in that space. But then you can think about financial planning and para-planning. You can be an EA to a, you know, a really big team of investment professionals. You can be in client services. You can, I haven't even talked about the banking space. You can be doing credit or loans. There's so many spots. And I just really implore people out there who are really interested in knowing more about finance that you should actually. Take some time and work out, you know, what suits you and where your passion lies. And you know, I guarantee you, finance will find you a spot. Definitely, you know, things like even agri finance—that is a really big spot coming up at the moment. Particularly, you know, fintech is great, venture cap, MA, There's lots of different spaces, and then you think about that, and then you go, okay, well there's different asset classes and different geographies. You know, you can specialize in different things in that area as well. So there's so many opportunities out there. You just need to go and find them.
0: And I think that's one of the misconceptions that you have to be a finance person to go into finance, where so many of the best people I made in the industry have actually got a lot of expertise in another area, completely irrelevant to finance, but they've found a way to bring those two interests together. And even some of the best uh, analysts and investors I've met have got a completely different background and they bring that approach to what they do and it just makes them all the better for it
1: and i can give you two great examples a really good friend of mine who is a portfolio manager at paradise she trained at morgan stanley and then bought a baking business industrial baking business went off and ran a you know a small business essentially and then has come back into finance and has given her a much richer view on how to analyze companies and where the sort of the levers are. And the second example is always a great one that I use in the perennial team where our resources analyst actually is a geologist and spent, you know, four years down a mine in the Ivory Coast, right? So, and then he's moved into finance. So, there's some great opportunities and don't think that even if you're Halfway through your career, that you can't pivot with the skills that you have to come into finance because it will definitely welcome you.
0: Absolutely. And if someone listening is in high school or they're maybe one or two years into their uni degree at the moment and they're interested in pursuing a career in the financial services industry and they might be interested in bringing maybe a different background to it, are there any particular courses or degrees that you recommend studying and learning more about or see? Commonly threading throughout the industry?
1: Yeah, sure. So commerce and economics is. Pretty much the the standard, right? And that's and I would dare say that it was. um, And I'm not going to say it in inverted commas because you can't see it, right? But um, it's I would say it's you know it is what everyone chooses. It might be the boring option, but what you're finding is that it's commerce and something else now. So it's commerce and science, or commerce and engineering, or commerce and law, or commerce and medicine, or arts, or whatever. And you bring the the other skill set that you're learning in the other degree and putting it together with your commerce um, degree. Because commerce gives you a really good sort of understanding of how the world works from a supply and demand point of view, you know, that you get a lot of accounting in there, you get, you know, lots of statistics in there as well, but you also get options in um, marketing and you know economic history and all that sort of stuff, which I think is really fabulous. But again, there's lots of information technology people who are coming into the industry. You know, we have a lot of data in our industry. If that's you know if that's not that's not something you could probably just point your finger out. But that's we have so much data in our industry that information technology and those data professionals will just be you know so well sought after um, in our industry going forward. But as I said. When I look at people today coming into the industry, my view is that you it's great that you have a commerce degree. That's fabulous. But what else do you have to you? And I can see particularly out there lots of people driving for really, really great marks. And that's awesome. But my view is the best people to work with are people who have good street smarts and good book smarts, right? Together. And so I, you know, you need to have because it is, as I said before, it is a people industry, and we need to, you know, you need to have relationships with people, and need to be able to deal and manage up, and manage down, and manage sideways into your peers, and you need to be able to have really good um, negotiation skills and um, listening skills and things like that. And you, you can, you can get those in other areas, in you know, in other degrees and things like that. But sometimes people think that those skills are innate but actually they're mostly learned so i'm always looking for when i'm hiring people for a good mix of street smarts and book smarts above all of that just having a really good view of um, you know lifelong learning i think that's really critical these days you know being adaptive because no day in in, a, in the finance industry is ever, ever the same. Like we work with markets. Every second there's a new piece of information, that market's moving up and down. No day is ever going to be the same. So you need to be a flexible and adaptive. And I think that that's a trait that lots of people are looking for. And maybe I can tell you what I did and that can you know, give your know listeners some examples. So I did an arts and commerce degree at uni feels like a long time ago now, but I loved putting the arts and the commerce together because I did stuff like, you know, French film studies and mass media in South Korea and Japanese politics. And you don't necessarily get that opportunity to do that in your commerce, but you do get the opportunity to do that in my arts. And I knew I wanted to go into business. And I knew I wanted to go into funds management and I knew I wanted to be in marketing. So, you know, putting those two, you know, skills, the arts piece and the commerce piece together was um, really important to me. Then actually what I did do is because I actually chose not to do a, a finance major. My majors were in economics, marketing and Asian studies. And what I did do at the time was... At the same time as I was at university, I actually did a diploma in financial advising at the Securities Institute, which is now Finzia. And then that then led to a master's of applied finance and investment. And so I was already sort of six months into the master's when everybody else was finishing university. So I, and that's, that was the degree that everyone sort of just popped out at the time to do after they finished their degree. So I did that, which was great. I really enjoyed that. It sort of cemented. um, We had lots of practitioners in the industry come and talk to us and things like that, which was great. And then I went off, you know, I'm a lifelong learner, so people might think that's overachieving, but I do love formal study. And I did an MBA. That was really fabulous. I see the world entirely differently today than I did before I did that. But lots of people, you know, do um, like the CFA or kaya or a master's in commerce afterwards. Generally, there's no sitting still once you finished your first undergraduate degree. You know, for example, you know, I just did a course in AI and machine learning, um, not to, you know, it's more about business strategy than it was actually coding it, but, you know, giving me an insight into what finance could be in 10 years time if we actually applied some of that stuff. And you just need to, you know, find your passion and really follow it because I think that's really important.
0: And that's a really important takeaway because the finance industry doesn't stand still and you need to be committed, like really any industry really, to lifelong learning and further development, whether that's through formal study or actually just going off and doing a course on one of the many online platforms out there.
1: Totally. Like Coursera is great. You know, I did the um, AI course at MIT and it was just an eight week thing, which was great. You know, there's lots of, you know, I've done um, section four with um, Scott Galloway's business. If you, if you listen to some of his, he has a great podcast as well. You know, he's in particularly a professor of marketing at NY Stern. You know, there's, some great short courses that you can do that can really sort of jump you forward in your thinking, and so particularly, you know, with finance, when you're talking to different companies or talking to different people, then you need to understand. You need to be, you need to understand a lot about a, a little, and a little about a lot. You need to have some continual knowledge and building over that over the time of your journey as
0: well. And one of the other. Challenges I believe the finance industry is facing is getting females into the investment and portfolio manager positions. I mean, talking to lots of different companies, there are lots of females working for them, but they're more in, they're often in certain roles and not other roles. And I think it's really hard to be what you can't see. There aren't many female portfolio managers out there in Australia, and female investment analysts, especially not many with a public profile. And I was wondering if you were able to comment on some of the barriers that maybe have stopped women um, progressing into these roles in the past and what we can do as individuals to overcome them and maybe maybe some of the things the industry needs to focus on as well?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and essentially it comes to the crux of why I started F3, Future Females in Finance, because my view is that, you know, the world out there is 50-50. Why isn't it 50-50 in finance? And really, if we step back and look at the stats, you know, the workplace gender authority in Australia, their stats in finance are actually not too bad. I think they're 45% female, 55% male. But then there's serious pockets of poor gender diversity. And you're right to point out the Um, the portfolio manager and analyst role. So if we dig down into particularly investment management, I think the last stats I saw is in Australian equity investment teams, there's 22% female coverage. Um, But when you get to the portfolio manager, it ends up being about 4%. And that's so devastating. I can't tell you. And, you know, I'm really passionate about this industry. I've been in the industry for um, nearly 20 years. And you know, my view is I'm going to be here for another 20 years. So how can we, how can we change these statistics, particularly in certain areas? You know, financial planning is another one. Um, investment banking, there's a, there's actually a lot in there that um, really need to sort of pull their socks up and and really make an effort here. And I would say, Kate, if there was one silver bullet we would have fixed it by now and there's not. Um, I'm currently reading a book called Undiversified, The Big Gender Short in Investment Management, um, which is actually written by a couple of uh, one portfolio manager and and another finance professional from from the States. And there's so many options and it's funny because I'm reading it going, oh, yeah, this is so true and I could have written written this book myself. (laughs) But there's lots of them. So let's think about there's both supply side and demand side issues. So let's look look about the supply side. So the actual females themselves. There's work life balance issues and perceptions that they may have, perceptions of culture, whether they fit in or not. Uh, There's perceptions about you know all about maths. Um, which we've already touched on, and it's not all about maths. It really isn't. There is an aspect of maths, so don't get me wrong, but it's not all about maths, and you need to understand that. Obviously, there's limited role models, um, which is why you know I'd like to doing stuff like this with you today because I really want to be one of those role models that people can stand up and go, hey. Um, I can see someone who looks like me is positive like me who can do this sort of stuff and I you know even if I inspire one person the industry is is way better off the I think we're not doing and we're not doing a great job in um, promoting the industry um, in the undergrad space. Um, and you and I spoke about this just before we started you know the accounting firms are doing a great job the banks are doing a great job in this space um, but investment management and other areas financial planning for example, because finance is enormous and there are enormous companies in it, but there's so many small companies that are really really high quality that you you need to just go and find and, and you know, you need to do a little digging and just because they don't have a huge brand name doesn't mean that they aren't on a global scale. So you need to, need to sort of change perceptions about that as well. The view is male dominated. Well, sure. Yeah. But that's self-perpetuating. So if we're not adding more females in because they think that there's not more, there's not enough females in there, then it's only going to get worse, which um, I think is really sad. You know, there's, confidence we talk about confidence and we talk about putting ourselves forward you know asking for a pay rise stepping in so say for example what we do with F3 is we do a work experience and online work experience program and that's all there just to nudge females in it is really supportive it's done on in a group basis there's no pa- pass or fail you meet fabulous people throughout the program but it's it's about giving you the confidence about hey Oh my God, I can so do this. And just a slight, you know, slight nudge into the industry, which I think is really important. And then on the demand side, there's lots of stuff like bias, which everyone talks about because people hire themselves, right? So actually thinking about trying to not hire yourself is really, really hard. And there's limited internship and work experience opportunities, which is, again, why I started F3. It's all online. So it's really flexible for both the employer and the students as well. So, you know, there's so, this, everyone points to the fact that no one, you you know, you ask someone, say, you know, I'm hiring for a junior, but no no females are applying i so i think you know in my example i have an example where a couple of years ago we did a junior hire 280 applicants 24 were female that's not enough that's really not enough so i just implore everyone out there listening today if you are interested in finance put yourself forward i mean what's the worst that can happen and no that's not really bad just keep going um, so yeah there are lots of perceived barriers i would dare say and lots of barriers that we need to actually really overcome. So we're trying to do that F3 and I definitely trying to do that personally myself when I'm hiring in the business. So yeah, it's really important to me to to change the industry. Cause you know I have a I have a three-year-old daughter and I don't want to sit here in 20 years time. And when she's saying, hey mom, I want to be in finance, I don't want to sit here and say I haven't tried to change the industry for the better. So as I said, come on in. It's a broad church. Um, put your hand up and um, you you will be definitely welcome.
0: So if someone was interested in entering the financial services industry in the next couple of years or maybe interested in uh, even pivoting their career where they are right now, do you have any tips for starting to build a network or meaningful relationships within the industry because it, it's really important as both finding jobs and working in that industry to know other people there?
1: Oh, definitely, and may I say, Kate? I think you probably asked the right question to the right person here because I am a lover of networking, and people think I'm like entirely woohoo loopy, but I'm the type of person who will walk into a room and know nobody and go yes, because you know I get to meet new people, understand their stories, you know, tell my stories, and I love that. I get an entire buzz, but I appreciate when people don't like it um, because it is, it can be difficult. It definitely can be difficult. And, you know, I, it's a learnt skill. So I used to, I used to watch my mum on, you know, fundraising for charity events that I you know, as a little kid and she'd be working the room and, you know, meeting all these people. And I just go like, wow. But, you know, I appreciate that not everyone's in the same boat. So there's a couple of things that I would definitely do about building the network. So let's start with some networking tips and then let's go at the end to where where I think you should start networking. So networking tips, my top tip is to always start with a smile. So, and, you know, smiles break down perceived barriers and makes you approachable and just makes it easier Mm -hmm for you to have an instant rapport with people. So yeah, a smile goes a really long way, as they say. My second tip here is also to ask lots of questions and provide information about yourself where you think there could be common ground and an instant connection found with a person. So, and I always use travel as a great networking discussion point because everyone loves to talk about themselves and particularly you know where their next travel um, place is going to be or where they last went and people spark up and they love to talk about the, you know the joy they have or their you know the dreams that they're going to have for their the next travel trip so you know it's a great adventure to have travel so i always use that as a really great area for asking questions and just realize that people love to talk about themselves so ask great questions, but also be a really, really active listener. And that is a really hard skill to have because lots of people do, you just, you know, we when you and I would talk, we just happily talk about ourselves, but actually listening to someone and getting an understanding of who they are is really important with networking. And then the last thing I would say is to practice, practice, practice. Because as I said in the beginning, it is a really learned skill and it's, You need to practice regularly to get good at it. And when I mentor people, you know, this is an area where lots of people like to talk about, you know, I don't feel comfortable or how do I get better at it? And really it is put something in the diary once a month, once every two months and actually go and do it because it's really, it's really important to become a, you know, what I would describe as a professional at it, but, you know, feel more comfortable at it is probably where I would say. But there's some great networking opportunities within the industry and also if you're at, at uni, so let's talk about uni first. So, you know, there's lots of great networking opportunities within the student societies at, at, um, at uni. So go and seek some of those out, um, particularly, you know, some of the universities have some really great finance or women's societies, particularly women's in business societies. So there's some really great areas to start looking at. And then in in the industry, if you, you know, there's lots of um, industry organizations that do a lot of this sort of stuff. So you know, if you're wanting a career in the industry, you know you can head towards, say, for example, the um, CFA Society. They do a lot of networking. A lot of the industry organisations, like the Financial Services Council (FSC), they they have one. You know, lots and lots and lots of different events. But if if you're an investor and you're looking to increase your knowledge in this space and like to you know network with other investors and talk about investing that's different again so you know investors could head to things like the Australian Investors Association or the Australian Shareholders Association the ASX does some great stuff for investors to start learning about investing or you know network with other investors and there's some you know really great social areas bits. So there's meetups, you know, when they happen before COVID, lots of meetups in the finance space. There are lots of networking opportunities within the social space. All the finfluencers that are out there, there's worth having, you know, having a look at in that space as well. There's lots of professional development or personal development opportunities out there. You just need to go and find them. But there's, there's, some, um, there's some great ideas there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just have to be prepared to go and look for them. They're there if you're ready to get involved and actually prioritizing it and putting it into your calendar. Because if you don't, it will just take a backseat and years will go past and you won't have done anything to develop this network.
1: Yeah. And I think people forget that networking, everyone goes, Oh, I can't, I don't like it. You know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. But networking is about building your own personal brand, right? So if no one if you hide under a rock and no one knows how great you are because you haven't done enough networking, the only person to blame is yourself, right So you need to get out from under that rock and show people how fabulous you are outside of your business, right? so you if you want to have a big personal brand and you want to build your personal brand, you know networking is definitely the way to do it like I, and I give you a personal example so I had a number of roles, all of them were external. So the uh, so so internal one was um, head of marketing. So that was internal to the business. Then I went to an offshore business development role, so selling to um, people and superannuation funds and pension funds offshore. But then I had um, my first child, Henry, and I got a role that then needed to pivot to onshore and I didn't have because of my two other roles I didn't have a network onshore in Australia so I decided that within a 6 month period I needed to go to an opening of an envelope literally and I put my hand up for everything you know I put my hand up for you know Christmas committees for social things within the industry and I put up hand at university within the the um you know the business faculty Just to build my profile because I didn't have one because all my past roles, and I tell you what, within six months, you know, if you didn't know who Camilla Love was, I mean, that sounds sounds a bit wanky, really, but you know, I, I really, I really put a concerted effort in it because my day job, really, the crux of my day job was, you know, needed that profile build, and networking was where I went to first. So there you go.
0: I love that story, and I think there's a lot of takeaways from listen, for listeners from that. Now, given we're a personal finance podcast, and you are in the industry, I thought it was fitting to end the episode by asking you to share your number one personal finance or investing tip for my listeners. Only one? That's um, ah. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that's
1: really tough. But I'll give your you your favorite one. Yeah, yeah. I, so I'll give you two, and the first one is to just start, right? So people think that investing is this uh, mystic thing that oh, I don't know if I have enough knowledge or you know, I don't know how to do it. But really, you need to be open to learning and open to learning about risk and return, and how to gather information and decision make essentially without having full understanding or control of necessarily the outcome, because that's what the risk is when you invest, um, when you start investing. And ETFs are a really great way to start. You know, it is a it's a simple journey. You get high diversification over um, a number of um, different companies or securities depending on which asset class you invest in. And that then, through one trade, that then gives you exposure to a number of different companies to then get more understanding so that when you decide that you want to jump off and do individual stock investing or whatever it is, or go to a different risk level or move into a different asset class, you have an understanding of how it's sort of how how it sort of works and what influences companies and what influences prices like currency or interest rates. Or it's really important to to just start and to start in a in a simple measured way to make you feel more comfortable and then go on for there. The second thing that I always say is don't ever invest in anything that you don't understand. The way that I describe that is that if you can't explain it to your grandma and your grandma doesn't understand it, then don't invest in it because you do need to understand it somewhat. And if you, you know, if you're talking about derivatives or you're talking about cryptocurrency or you're talking about and you don't understand it, just don't go there. Go and do your research get a better understanding and then go again. So the two are just start um, and the other one is, you know, don't invest in anything that you don't understand. So I've given you like a bonus, like a 1A and a 1B.
0: (laughs) Uh, Very sound advice. Now, Camilla, if people want to learn a bit more about you and e-invest, where should they head?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. So you can head to einvest.com.au. Um and if you are interested in what I do at F3, you can go to f3.com.au um, as well. And I also have a podcast, Shares Not Shoes, where we talk about careers in finance. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Feel free to, you know, just note that you've listened to the fabulous podcast with Kate today. And um yeah, and I, you know, feel free to reach out. We're always happy to to chat to to people, to people who are looking at getting a career in the industry, people who are looking to invest, whatever it is. um, We're always happy to chat. So
0: thanks for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and advice with my listeners today. Thanks, Kate. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at HowToMoneyAUS and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.